Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First up on the show, I will be speaking with Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition and hopefully Ian will be giving us an update about refugees and asylum seekers, in particular concentrating on the Sundanese civil war and looking at why the Australian government has not resettled um, the Sundanese refugees. And also there have been some arrests in Indonesia um, during a peaceful vigil. After that, we'll be doing bringing you an extended interview with Richard Trungeon, who is a First Nations leader and has done much work with um, in community work and education. And we're going to be speaking with Richard. He's going to be the 2023 speaker for the memorial of the Mile Creek Massacre. More on that later. We were speaking with Keith Munro a couple of weeks ago about this, and we're just going to be doing some more some more work on the massacre later on and speaking to Richard. But first up... I want to welcome Ian to the to the program. Welcome, Ian. Yeah, hi, Marissa. Lovely to have you. We're going to be having a short interview with you today. Could you just um, talk to us about the latest media release about the, what's happening in Indonesia? Yeah, no, look, no, no problem. I mean, there's been um, more protests actually this week today, even uh, by the Sudanese uh, refugees in in Indonesia. Um, that they've, in particular, although there have been weekly protests by Afghan refugees in Indonesia as well. Uh, more recently, the Sudanese have started their own protests, and today in Makassar, at least, there was a joint Sudanese and Afghan, uh, you know, protest uh, outside the UNHCR offices. Um, been protesting, it's the Sudanese in particular have been protesting since the you know out, outbreak, the recent outbreak of the clash between the generals in uh, Khartoum and elsewhere in uh, Sudan. It's been engulfed in more you know civil war between the generals, you know, sort of fighting amongst themselves about who's going to become the you know the new ruling class of Sudan. Uh, but for you know ordinary people in Sudan and for the refugees, it just means you know more you know horror uh, in terms of their families or and in. If they're already out of Sudan, there's no possibility of them being returned. But 
the, the Sudanese, like others, have been in Indonesia. Some of them have been there since 2011 and haven't and haven't been resettled. Um, so they're outside UNHCR protesting, you know, every every week. And in Makassar, they've actually started a, a 24-hour a day, seven-day a week, you know, vigil outside the UNHCR offices. Uh, so that's where they were uh, when they were arrested last week. Uh, the police have been a few times and kind of threatened them, you know, sort of bit of an intimidation but last week they showed up with uh, you know immigration uh, police and immigration officers they bundled them into the back of the van including you know one family with two young kids and uh, took them to the detention center in uh, Makassar uh, fortunately they were released the uh, the prison boss the, the detention boss when they got there said he had no food for them he had no staff uh, so he wasn't going to keep them in detention and uh, told them to uh, take them back and you know, dumped them back on the streets, which is uh, what happened. But they went back and restarted their vigil again. So shamefully, Australia maintains the ban on accepting refugees from Indonesia. Impose, and what's that imposed by? Well, that's right. I mean, that's the other side of the story. I mean, they're not the people aren't being resettled out of Indonesia uh, because, in part at least, uh, because there is a ban imposed. It was originally imposed by you know, Morrison in 2014, but you know that ban uh, remains in place. The Australian the Labor government has, has kept that ban in place, so there'd be no Sudanese uh, refugees uh, referred to Australia or accepted uh, to Australia, in spite of the fact of their you know extreme uh, you know, extreme difficulty both in uh, Sudan, of course, uh, but also in uh, Indonesia. The, the situation in Indonesia has got worse, as it has for others that are kept there. Um, they're you know, in, kept in quite uh, you know, appalling um, uh, housing circumstances. They get uh, the limited amount of money they get. Uh, from uh, IOM uh, is uh, is hasn't been increased since 2018, so they're effectively living in uh, living in poverty. Uh, so uh, the situation is getting very very dire. But uh, there is a there is a, a racist ban uh, actually imposed by the the government in Australia on accepting Sudanese refugees from Indonesia. And can you comment on the vigil and the arrests that have happened there as well? Yes, yeah, look, I think it's a, it's a testament to their enormous you know, resilience and determination that uh, in Makassar they have uh, staged a 24-hour, you know, seven-day-a-week uh, you know, vigil, uh, and in spite of the fact that they were arrested, uh, they, they're back again maintaining that vigil, and as I said earlier, the uh, protest today in Makassar was actually joined uh, you know, by, the, you know, by the Afghans, so had a very strong presence outside uh, the uh, defence outside the UNHCR office in Makassar. But every every week it's Jakarta, Makassar, Batam and other places uh, in uh, seeing uh, weekly Sudanese protests in Makassar. We've got the uh, the 24-hour, you know, seven-day-a-week, um, you know, vigil. So they're very, very determined to, you know, try and get their message across. Uh, so we've been, you know, making uh, connections here with the Sudanese uh, refugees and the Sudanese community uh, in Australia to make the connections between uh the, the well between the failure of the Labor government really to do anything for the or to be doing be doing sufficient for the people who are also trapped in Australia and nothing at all uh, for the Sudanese refugees in Indonesia. And lastly, we're actually having our radiothon coming up, and in particular, we're having our Do and Time show happening on the twelfth of June 
on Monday and our target is $850. Why do you think that listeners should be donating to the Do and Time show? Well, the Doing Time show has always been a bit of a, a, a mouthpiece in a way for the information about the uh, re- you know, refugees who have been in detention, both onshore and offshore, you know, to get out to the you know to the wider you know to the wider public. So uh, we need more of those uh, avenues uh, because certainly we don't get anything from the, uh, the you know the mainstream media about the plight of refugees and uh, of course about the plight of refugees and uh, and raising you know the awareness, which is quite crucial if we're going to see some uh, you know some some real justice in place of uh, what they've been suffering okay so before you go can you just um, plug the 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 website for the refugee action coalition and any events that are coming up uh, yes yeah, so look people just need to google the you know, sort of you know uh, Refugee Action Collective in, in Victoria, Refugee Action Coalition in New South Wales. There's going to be a protest uh, the 19th of July this year. will be 10 years since uh, the, the Rudd Labor government imposed the Pacific Solution Mark II, which was a reopening of Nauru and uh, Manus Island, and off- offshore detention. Uh, so there'll be demonstrations in many, many cities around Australia. But in, in Melbourne, it'll be Saturday the uh, 22nd of July, the Saturday after the 19th of July. So uh, check out the Refugee Action Collective down there for Melbourne, and uh, get along and support that uh, rally. The, uh, every every action we can take uh, hopefully brings a, an end to de- brings closer an, an end to detention, an end to detention, and an end to, to fascism as well. Okay, fingers crossed, Marissa. Fingers crossed. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Ian, for coming onto the program. That's okay. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Yeah, bye. For bye. Now. And you just heard an interview with Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition. And we're going to be going through to a cinnamon announcements pretty soon. And then after that, we'll bring you another interview with Richard um, Trungeon. And I will be um, introducing that fairly quickly soon. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Fierce, independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep radical voices and issues on the airwaves. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Call the station on 03 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, during business hours. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. undertaking political activity. That is not something that people should be telling us that we can't do. Multiple actions rolling over months and years and create huge sustained pressure of social change. And what we're seeing around the country right now is increasing repression of protest. Protest works. That's why I think we're seeing it criminalised all over the place. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned. Stay radical. To donate, call 039-419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au.
gather round people I tell you a story An eight year long story Of power and pride British Lord Vesta And Vincent Lignari Were opposite men On opposite sides Vesti was fat Money and muscle Beef was his business Broad was his door Vincent was lean Spoke very little He had no bank balance Our dirt was his floor From little things Big things grow From little things Big things grow The Rinji were working For nothing but rations But once they had gathered the wealth of the land Daily the pressure got tighter and tighter Gurindji decided they must make a stand They picked up their swags, started off walking At Wadi Creek, they sat themselves down Now it don't sound like much, but it sure got tongues talking Back at the homestead, then in the town From little things, big things grow From little things, big things grow Investing man said, I'll double your wages Seven quid a week, you have in your hand Vincent said, uh-uh, we're not talking about wages. We're staying right here till we get our land. Besty man rode, besty man thundered. You don't stand a chance of a cinder in snow. Vince said, if we fall, others are rising. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Vincent Lignari, he boarded an airplane, landed in Sydney, big city of lights. And daily he went round softly, speaking his story to all kinds of men from all walks of life. Vincent sat down with them big politicians. This affair, they told him, it's a matter of state. Let us sort it out. While your people are hungry, Vincent said, no thanks, we know how to wait. From little things, big things grow. 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 You can sing to you, mob, if you're in it. This is all about reconciliation, so get at it. We want to hear you. Vincent Lignari returned in an airplane back to his country once more to sit down and he told his people let the stars keep on turning we got friends in the south in the cities and towns eight years went by eight long years of waiting to one day a tall stranger appeared in the land and he came with lawyers 
came with great ceremony, threw Vincent's fingers on that handful of sand. Go! From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Vincent Lingyari, but this is a story, something so much more. How power and privilege cannot move a people who know where they stand when they stand in their law. From little things, big things grow. with the Doing Time show and it's approximately 4.18 and you just heard a couple of announcements about Radiothon and also a song Little Things Big Things Grow with Kev Carmody and Paul Kelly and that is the most um, beautiful song and I've, I've played it for many, many reasons really um, because it's always good to, to hear um, music like this and the lyrics are, are, are timely really, for the times we live in. But I also um, played this song as well because it's it's one of the favourite songs of the beautiful Cheryl from Istja. And I wanted to give her a shout-out and also Claus. And Cheryl is actually going to be becoming – has become a part of our Radiothon show coming up on Monday the 12th of June. And it's a special radio broadcast that's coming up um, – and our target is $850. So I'm hoping that people can dig deep and donate. Prisoners do not have bank accounts. Um, and I've just only brought you two interviews today because I've been making preparations for that show. Although presently we're going to be hopefully speaking with Richard Trunjan and that will be an extended interview. And listeners may recall that a couple of weeks ago we spoke with um, Uncle Keith Munro who has – done some wonderful work and is a descendant of the Mile Creek um, people that were First Nations people that were massacred. And he spoke about the event that's coming up on the long weekend. 
So the speaker this year is Mr Richard Trungeon. He's First Nations and he's been a pioneering, pioneering figure in community development education for near on 50 years, of which 42 have been spent working with the Yulka people of North East Arnhem Land. And Richard will help me with that pronunciation later on. And Richard is the CEO of Aboriginal Resource Development Services has been so for a number of years, and he's got strong directions from Yulko's elders, and he wrote the book Why Warriors Lie Down and Die. He also built um, radio and spent 15 minutes presenting the Bridging the Gap seminars to audiences across Australia. And Yulko's elders are also pushing him to build an e-learning online school um, as well, and these projects empower um, First Nations people and the crisis they face with the wider Australian community. And the seminars are now going online with the new cultural courses platform. And today, Richard leads a bicultural, bilingual production team, so he's very um, proficient with Aboriginal language that is committed to giving um, the people access to answers about health, economic, legal, governance, general information and hard English terms in their own language. And so he will be the speaker for, for Mile Creek, and that's happening on the long weekend. There's quite a number of performances as well, and a special thank you to Joe um, for organising this. The annual memorial service is open to everyone. Those intending to participate are invited to gather at the Mile Creek Hall night by 9am Sunday 11th June for morning tea. Lunch will be available for purchase after the ceremony. So the Mile Creek Massacre Memorial Commemoration, when? 9am Sunday 11th June 2023, where Mile Creek Hall, Reserve Creek Road, Mile Creek, then the Mile Creek Massacre Memorial Prisant, um, Delungra Road, Mile Creek. Now, there is a podcast about the Mile Creek Massacre that... Um, that was created from my the radio show a couple of weeks ago. So have a look at that podcast and there'll be more information. So I'll be going now with um, an announcement. Weight theft is the symptom of the problem. What we're seeing is obscenely well-remunerated vice-chancellors. It's appalling how badly universities have been treating their casual workers. They want to pretend that they can continue on with business as usual. Well, comrades, we're here to say no. 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2023. 3CR. Stay tuned. Stay radical. Wondering how to pay your donations to 3CR Radiothon? It's easy. You can pay online at 3cr.org.au or call us any weekday with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash. Or simply post your cheque or money order to PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. And be sure to tell us exactly which program you'd like your donations to go towards. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. 
Join the new International Bookshop on Saturday, June 17th at 9am for the annual Big Red Book Fair. Thousands of books of all genres at a flat rate of $3. More deals include $1 zines and journals, $2 selected fiction and 10% off new books. Meet other lefties and find rare classics for low prices that are only available at the new International Bookshop. Located at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton, Saturday the 17th of June. The New International Bookshop is a 3CR supporter. Create an impact this end of financial year with a meaningful donation to Children's Ground, a First Nations-led organisation. Children's Ground creates holistic, long-term change with First Nations children, their family and community. Your donation supports an entire generation of First Nations children to grow up strong and empowered in their culture. So, hop on to childrensground.com.au and make a one-off or recurring donation this end of financial year. Children's Ground is a 3CR supporter. And in case listeners have just tuned in, this is the Doing Time Show, 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial. Streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. The Doing Time Show has been traditionally a safe environment for Indigenous and non-Indigenous people to come in and talk about issues that concern them. And coming up on the show, and I just um, introduced him previously, we're going to be speaking now with um, Richard Trudgeon and First Nations leader. Hello, Richard. Welcome to the program. Marissa, yeah. It's great to be here. It's so lovely to have you. I'm I'm really delighted to be introducing you to our listeners. Yeah. So, Richard, I I was actually reading out your intro, and I'm going to be really honest. I was having a little bit of trouble with some of the pronunciations of the land, and um, can you just um, tell us what land you're from and talk about some of the work that you've been doing with with your people? Yeah, I work with the Yungal people in Arnhem Land, and um, there's about 40 different uh, clan groups across that area. Uh, I've been here now 50 years. I've come up in 73, and uh, I was only going to stay for 12 months. But back in those days, they forced us to learn language and uh, cross-cultural stuff and to go to ceremonies and all that, so... That's what I started doing, and I ended up, uh, yeah, couldn't couldn't lead the people. There's just uh, uh, too many things that needed to be worked through, and they were trying to work through understanding the English language and the English culture. Uh, and I found myself um, in the middle of that conversation all the time. Went on to build uh, Yonga Radio, which is one of the first. Uh, I think it's still one of the only radio services that put stuff out totally in language and. Uh, yeah, covering all subjects. We deal with all subjects from medical through to uh, commerce, law, uh, economics. Uh, we work with a number of young uh, or clans at the moment who are asking us to help them build their businesses. Uh, and I do a lot of also cross-cultural training, training of mainstream people, trying to understand the issues. Uh, you know, wrote the book Why Warriors Lie Down and Die 20 years ago. Uh, and we're writing a number of other things, and we're also building online courses. So we do do a whole lot of things uh, <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. 
Oh, that's that's really great. Actually, my pronunciation wasn't that bad. Now, <laughs> now that I'm looking back. <laughs> Well, you, you almost got a hard pronunciation because it's got an ing sound in the middle of the word "yong." Wow! And and uh, most English-speaking people can't hear it in the middle of the word or the beginning of a word, but they they can hear it on the end of the word because it's like ing on the end of a lot of English words. So it's a little difficult word to yeah yeah to get your tongue around at first. Yeah, for sure. And and you've been involved with um, with teaching language. Yeah, I, I speak um, medical, legal, economic, Yungamata. Uh, me and my son are about the only English first language people who speak that language to that depth. Uh, I have n- never worked in the government structures. I've worked in non-profit structures and now working in my own company so I don't have to worry about getting things through boards all the time. We can just get on with the work with the people. Uh, so we've worked outside the system, but inside the Yungo systems, inside their their training systems, their parliaments, their ceremonies and so forth, uh, yeah, through their traditional parliaments and courts and whatever. So we work through the original Australian culture systems rather than through a mainstream system, which has put us out a bit on the edge, but also given us a, an advantage to understand things that most other people can't even dream of, yeah. I'm really glad you're mentioning this. So you're, this was is within Arnhem Land. When you say traditional courts, that's within Arnhem Land that you're talking about? Yeah. the It's one of the main things the mainstream has trouble uh, coming to grips with is that what we still have in Arnhem Land is what was left of the traditional parliaments and courts and so forth. Uh, but it's been denied today by the Australian government and mainstream culture that it even exists. Um, one one of my colleagues, a uh, uh, man who's uh, my senior, he um, he tried to get government... Uh, now, he he was trained as a... He, actually, he's a Reverend Dr. Jinini Gundara, and he was trained also... In, he's also got the Order of Australia and so forth. So he came up through the Western system, but he was very, very, very traditional in uh, in his language and his law and everything else like that. And he was talking to government and trying to get them to say, why don't we use the original Australian systems, leaders and so forth, the democratic leader systems that's set up by under our law? And this, uh, this, this bureaucrat just laughs in his face. He said, oh, don't be silly. Can't use that old stuff, you know? And... Um, that's that's uh, what I'm talking about a lot today is this new level of violence that still comes through from Captain Phillips Day where where the traditional culture, law, language and everything is seen as primitive and backwards. When in actual fact, it's very sophisticated. If we could get a young school online, if I could get funding for that, we could have people going through university learning it all in their own language because there's concepts, economic, legal concepts in the original Australian language that do not exist in English. They exist in most of the other Asian languages because Australia was connected to Asia, and so a lot of linguistic connections are still there. But we've we've got to really call out this, uh, what I call, uh, sort of a, a level of community violence, which which still puts the original cultures down and calls them primitive and pagan backwards and so forth. 
just like the original settlers did, and actually where that's where the naming come from. Yeah. Although pagan is actually not backward, though, is it? Pagan is... We were well, all, yeah. It was called pagan, but they weren't pagan. Exactly. They, they believed in the great, what we call Wangard, the great creator spirit. It's very derogatory, the way yeah. Ah, yeah, they're all, speaks. Well, that's right. It, they're all derogatory terms, and that's what happens cross-culturally, where one group thinks they're superior to the other, and they look at the other, they look at the other and they try and understand what's going over there, but they, but they haven't got any real in-depth through the language or understanding what's really going on. So they just see the visual uh, happenings, actions of the people, and then they start naming it in their own culture, and that's what the British settlers originally did. Unfortunately, most of that still comes through now today, where many people still think that traditionally Aboriginal people in Australia or the first Australians... Uh, uh, didn't have an economic or governance structure or even a legal system. And that's we know is wrong because... And we can say it's wrong because it's all there in the languages of Arnhem Land that we're learning every day and using every day in modern business, in modern uh, conversations around medical things. There's a medical language there. Uh, so it's a very superior language. It's not nowhere near what the original settlers or many... Mainstream people still think about it. For, for instance, the Education Department of the Northern Territory will still see them as primitive backwards languages. Oh, yeah, we've got to do a bit of bilingual education, so we'll do year one and two in school, bilingual, you know, kindergarten, but we won't even think for a second that we can be using this through to university, which we could be. We could be, yeah. Richard, it's really... Honestly, it's so wonderful to have you because as you're speaking, it makes me feel so much better because you're talking about things that the mainstream media wouldn't even dream of looking at. Yes, they do look at language. I'm not saying they don't. And they look at stories of elders and who speak in language. But you're going a step further here and it's, it's so important. Yeah, we go way further. That image, you know, that uh, we'll get bedtime stories. Uh, we'll just uh, we'll, we'll get a little bit of the tidbits of the culture. I'm talking about a full culture that had universities. They have university campuses that still exist in Arnhem Land today. They're named by different ceremonies. Uh, you know, you, for instance, you'll have a Gunapipi ceremony that's not just taught in one place, and that's a... That's a ceremony where people coming of age, young people come out of their childhood and into adulthood and, and become really highly disciplined or what in Yungamata we call rapidity. Now, rapidity, one word, is the discipline of your mind, your body and your soul, right? But we have, we have government structures that are running around now, family, family and children's services and all that. They think they've got more ability to help young people that are now in crisis on the street. And and so we government continually puts in programs that are still breaking down this this really highly academic level of, of conversation and of education. But they do it because of the mindset that was passed on, you know, from Captain Phillips' day right up until today. Uh, and it's sad that we're still doing that today. 
It's more than sad. It's uh, it's genocidal, really, because it, isn't yeah, it's it? tragic. It's tragic. Yeah. But but yeah. there are still positives, and I suppose my question to you, and I want to I want to actually talk about Mile Creek in a minute, but but this is connected. But my yeah. question to you is, what's going to happen now? Because aren't they? Is the Australian government trying to remove permits in Armand Land now, and will there be mining? Uh, there's 360 exploration leases across Arnhem Land that I understand, and that's a long way back that I've been there. Um, so I haven't checked it out in the last few years, but there was 360 exploration licenses at one stage. And there's, I'm hearing there's talk of um, mineral deposits right beside the biggest community of Gullianchool, which will take up the whole island if they, they get into that. Uh, yeah, yeah, look... <laughs> We've got to empower people, and that's what I'm on about, you know. Uh, I'm 73 now, and people told me to go off and retire, and I said, well, I'm retiring here, and we're going to uh, kick as much butt as we can, try and get things changed as much as possible. Why? To solve the problems, to keep people out of, out, out of hospital and out of jail and to get education really happening and get business development for you all on an equal footing with the mainstream rather than them being pushed aside all the time. The, 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 the frontier, is, you could say, has gone through New South Wales, South Australia, Queensland, and, but now the North Australia, uh, and that's why we have so many problems up in, in Queensland, up on the Cape and yep. in Arnhem Land now in Western Australia, but Arnhem Land was actually holding it better together, but they are now, they are now feeling the full force of... of uh, the English culture that's now coming through, and um, and we're we're trying to say, hey, this doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to do it this way. We could actually save billions of dollars, billions of dollars, if we did it the right way, and we just empower the people and let them come up with the interventions they need to solve their problems, uh, rather than people sitting in Canberra and Darwin and wherever. Uh, coming up with all the wonderful ideas that just makes the problem worse and costs the, costs the country a fortune, but also, of course, costs the people their own lives, which uh, uh, we have the highest death rate in Australia now, five times higher than, than Sydney and three times higher in Darwin. And it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be. We can teach people down to a deep biomedical level in their own language and they can understand it quickly not this rubbish that everybody says, oh, you've got to keep it simple for Aboriginal people. No, we want to keep it complex for Aboriginal people. It's patronising. It's patronising. Absolutely patronising, yeah. And it's also destructive, as you said. Yeah. So so you've been doing the, working on the languages and, and yeah. also the programs there? Yeah, we go as hard as we can on it. We work on the language every day because people will be ringing me up and saying, what does this mean? What does that mean? Um, for instance, we're putting kids in jail in Darwin now because they don't know what parole means, right? So they're, they're let out on parole. They don't know what this gobbledygook means. And then they use two words for it. They use parole and probation. So they go, oh, gobbledygook, and then this different gobbledygook. They haven't got a clue what it means because they break parole. <laughs> they, they've said, oh, you, you're being let out now. You know, you're on probation. And they go, oh, I'm being let out there, I'm on gobbledygook, right? So they don't understand that they're still on contract and they've got to watch themselves and do the right thing. 
So now, what, the, what does the government do? So both parties, the ALP and the country Liberal Party, now say, let's make it tougher. You know, anybody that broke parole, bang, you're straight in. There's no, there's no chance we get out on parole again. So we're we're not, we're not even recognising what the issues are, and that's what I'm talking about. We've got to stop and recognise what the real issues are. Deal with the language. Look, look let me give you one example. In 200 years, no federal government has ever made an English learning program from the original Australian language, one of the original Australian languages, right, like Yungamata, to English. Never produced an open source program. Over 50 years, no, about 50 years, 60 years ago, they were still whipping people in southern Arnhem Land for speaking their languages in, in classroom, right? And then we come along with other systems that force people to learn English. Stop forcing them to learn English. Give them a program where they can learn English, an open source program, not controlled by the education department because every, every time every government changes, somebody comes along and they say, oh, get rid of that, get rid of that. It's got to be an open source one, which you and I, if we wanted to learn a language anywhere around the world, we can find within minutes online. You can't do that for the original Australian languages. Now, let me just give you another quick example. If you've got Chinese people coming to Australia, they can get access to 32,000 English words translated back into their language, right? Mm. So they, they come into Australia and they're successful in university and everywhere else, right? And they go on to be doctors and pilots and everything else. A young person from northeast Arnhem Land and many of the other places across the north where they're struggling with English, uh, and English is their first, second, uh, second, third, fourth or fifth language, they come into uni, they hear terms like academia or academic or uh, any, any of the academic terms, the big terms, and they've got nowhere to go to find out what that word means. They're still thinking in their first language. That's, their brain is operating in Yungamata and they've got nowhere to go to access that information, what we call self-learning tools. The government has to create self-learning tools so people can at least get equal opportunity to access information in Australia and therefore develop their own businesses, come up with their own interventions of how to solve problems rather than a massive Aboriginal industry, which is now developing, massive, uh, and, and driven mainly by mainstream business again, not by the people themselves. In actual fact, younger people are saying to me, we've got all these younger organisations and they're all run by Balanda. Now, Balanda is the word in the north for English-speaking person. You know? And uh, they said they're all run by English-speaking person uh, uh, people. And we, we can't get a look in, they say. We can't even get a look in on the, at a board meeting. So they're locked out of uh, controlling even their own organisations. And how long has that been, that's been going on historically? Historically, it wasn't there 50 years ago because when I came to Arnhem Land and I joined a, a, a mission service back then, I came for 12 months and within the first hour I was told when I was given a big list of work to do, they said, you will stop every Thursday afternoon and learn language. So under the northern the mission that was across the north coast, we were forced to learn language, forced to learn culture, do, do workshops and cultural competency and communication and cross-language communication. We were forced to do it. 
I used to hate it. Then I started to love it because I realised it was giving me skills to really work well with the people. Then when the mission stopped and the government moved in across the communities, all that stopped. So in 2023, we have worse policies than that was used by the old missionaries. (laughs) I still can't get over it, you know? Uh, so when the missions were there, you all were involved, they were running their organisations, they were, they were involved in the traditional trade because the mission used the traditional trade, whether it was, uh, whether it was um, um, turtle shells back then or um, pearl shells and so forth. They, they used to get into that traditional trade and use that traditional trade uh, to keep the people involved and, uh, and, and earning their own their own living, basically. Since the government comes has come in, they come in with this mindset that Aboriginal people were primitive and backwards. Oh, and there's no opportunities for them in Arnhem Land. Actually, I keep, I keep hearing there's no opportunities in Arnhem Land. Even one government, the Liberal government back then, was talking about John Howard's mob, were talking about shifting everybody out of their homelands and taking them off the place like Catherine and Darwin. They haven't even looked at the history, what happens when that sort of thing happens, when you move people like that. Just, just, you just get uh, drug abuse and, and uh, prostitution and everything goes through the roof. And just look at the histories of Alice Springs, Catherine and any of those other places. And they're the problems, places where all the, the lawlessness is now occurring, right? Hmm. I put out a document many years ago, 10 years ago, talking about getting Yungle back into business, back into crocodile skins and, uh, and, and native honey and, and getting people growing pearls. Now, get this. Traditionally, people grew pearls along the north coast in little hatcheries. And then when the, uh, then when the um, uh, Macassan trade was stopped and the British boats moved in along the top coast, started what we call a 40-year and that 40-year war, they were stealing the oysters, the shells, the pearl shells, and also the pearls from these little hatcheries. And Jung would then give up. Now, Jung used to trade those pearls through to the Macassan international traders. So we had an international trade from the north coast. Those, those Macassans would take those pearls and sell them on up into China and so forth and many of those pearls probably went through the, the silk trade routes back to England and Europe, and some of the kings and queens of Europe were probably, or the queens were wearing oh, pearls around God. the neck from the North Strait before Captain Cook left England. <laughs> oh. Now, we don't know yeah. this history, and it's a shame we don't know it. We have this other rhetoric poured out that Aboriginal people have acted and da-da-da. Somebody true. says to me, yeah. Somebody says to me, sorry for carrying on, but somebody says to no, me, no. but hang on, Aboriginal people didn't invent the wheel. And I said that to this guy, he was a minister of the government, and I said, so who did? And he was thinking, he says, well, I don't know. And I said, well, it's probably Saddam Hussein's mob, the Persians. <laughs> and the British and other Europeans flogged it off them, just like you flog gunpowder, we flog gunpowder off the Chinese and so forth. But then I said to him, who was the first people on this planet? to invent unmanned control flight. And he's scratching his head and he says, I don't know, who were they? I said, well, think about it. Who were the first people to, to invent 
unmanned controlled flight. They still couldn't get it. And I said, it was Aboriginal people and the boomerang. Exactly. So let, let's get away from these. And that the wing of the boomerang, exactly the same on the latest fighter jet, you know, was designed way back then. Let's get away from these silly arguments that Aboriginal people didn't invent the wheel. Neither did the British. Exactly. <laughs> or the French or the German or anybody else. They probably flogged it from the Persians or somebody. We don't know who invented it. So we've got to get away from these silly arguments and then we're going to start learning the real history of Australia. Absolutely. And, uh, it's it's yeah. really important. So your book, because we're nearing the end of our show, tell us um, where we can hold it, get hold of your book and what's it called? Just called Why Warriors Lie Down and Die. Uh, so why the people are lying down and dying. Why, the warrior, why warriors lie down and die. You just Google that and you'll come to our company's called Why Warriors, Proprietary Limited, and uh, you can buy it on that site. Um, and we've also got courses on there and there's also 90 free videos that, that deal with some of these silly questions that the mainstream keeps coming up with. It's so important. And I'd love to chat to you some stage, at some stage, we don't have time now, but in terms of what happens with language for um, Aboriginal people that are blind, reading their own language in Braille. Well, well, the sad thing, the 90% of you all can't even read their own language now because it's not being taught in school, when it was in the mission days. That's so right. we, we can't even put out things these days in their own language for them to read. Nobody can read it. The well, old it's people oral, could. I suppose. It's oral, isn't it? It's an oral language, but it's all been written down. It's all been it? written down, yeah. Yeah, it's really fantastic. You know, yeah, it's all, all written down. And uh, and the missionaries were teaching it, and people could read it when I was in Rumagini in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s. But then since those old people who were taught in the mission schools are all gone now, uh, um, sadly, the very well-funded government schools <laughs> doesn't exist in it. It's quite but disgusting. But we could have all that stuff online. We could have it all online these days, doing it. I hope yeah. that does happen and keep up the good work. Um, well, if you see pockets out there, come at us. Good on you. Exactly. Thanks. Uh, Richard, Thanks. before you go, though, um, yeah. Uncle, are you able to, to just um, talk about Mile Creek, really, because um, you're going to be the speaker this year, aren't you? Yeah, well, so why are you interested in that? Well, the same massacre has happened in Arnhem Land nearly about 100 years after they did at Morrill Creek. And uh, I did have some association with some of the people from there. I worked with them for a little while when I was uh, back home in New South Wales uh, in Wiradjuri country getting getting my liver, growing a liver again after a health situation I had with gold staff uh, oh. infection. And, um, and, and so... I have some association with the people there, and and because of the the sites that were also the old people told me about in Arnhem Land, which just absolutely horrified me, where pastoralists also there killed out many many people, different five different massacre sites. So I've been interested, and in, I've been talking to people and some of the descendants of those people in, in at the Morrill Creek, and and you know I've read uh, Demons at Dusk, and just horrors horrifies me that so. It's that, but it's the war that's going on that I'm more interested in now and what we've been talking about, you know, this derogatory naming of Aboriginal culture. And even sometimes when, when, when the Aboriginal people now stand up and want to talk about their parliaments and all that, they, 
they get told they're stupid, you know. You can't. You, your parliaments are not parliaments. <laughs> well, yeah, well, come and have a look one day. Well, that's exactly right, and then yet they're trying to do the voice to parliament. Yeah, well, that's another subject altogether. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I want to stay on my theme. That's no, I, I didn't really want to talk about it today or, or maybe never because I think there's more important things to talk about with you really at the yeah. moment. Yeah, there's this, this other theme we've got to get. We've got to, we've got to call it out. Uh, the, the, the culture that has now become normalised in mainstream culture in 2023 has got to be challenged. And I don't mind the debate that's necessary around that. That's quite okay. Uh, but it's got to be challenged and it's got to be called out uh, because when bullying behaviour or bad behaviour becomes normalised, it can never bring good results for anybody. And we're talking about citizens in Australia that should be offered a fair go, a fair chance to stand up as equals and participate as equals. Uh, thanks. Th- th- thanks a 1000000 for the opportunity to have a conversation. I'd love you ha- to have you back again if you'll come. Again and again, whenever. Uh, I'm so happy to have spoken to you. Thank you so much for coming yeah. onto the program, and I'm sure that we're going to be having a lot more to talk about. And yeah. I, I'm sure that it'll you'll be um you'll be you'll be going to Mile Creek soon, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yes. We're in Armadale first at the uni there, and then something on Saturday, and then we're at the Mile Creek on Sunday. So yeah, it'll be great to catch up with people. Wonderful. Thank you yeah. so much, Uncle. All good. Good on you. Good on you. <laughs> good on you. Talk soon. Catch you. Catch Bye. Bye bye. And that was Richard Trudgeon, who has done some some really great work in language. And we talked a lot about Arnhem Land and very very special interview. He's going to be the speaker at Mile Creek. So see if you can rock up there. If you're in New South Wales, or if you're going to drive down there. Um, And we've got about three minutes left before I'm out of here. So stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Do and Time show. And please um, donate to the upcoming Radiothon um, 3CR starting next week, I believe. And I think our language um, programs will be starting soon. And then um, the Do and Time show itself will be on the 12th of June, the Monday, 4 to 5. And our target is $850. Pick up the phone, 94198377. Donate to the Do and Time show and all shows at 3CR. Approximately 4.55. And you're, we're going to be going out now with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella, from the Rumpy Band. And thank you so much to... Ian and Richard for coming onto the show this evening. And stay strong and look after each other. Kindness costs nothing. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Are real.